Hey everybody, welcome back to the Abstract Podcast. This is episode seven, and we're so glad you're tuning in. On episode seven, Colin sits down with an alumni from Toccoa Falls College. Um, Jonathan Haney came by the studio and had a conversation with Colin. Colin, what are you guys going to talk about? We're going to talk about his time in Macedonia, and we're going to talk about the things he has learned from that. Very good. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Jonathan Haney. Also, want to put a quick plug in. The Abstract Podcast made coffee mugs. And they're sweet. Yeah, they're really cool. Me and Colin both have one. And we're putting in an order this Saturday for more mugs. They're $10 a piece. They look really good. And we would love to get you one. So $10, let us know. We would love to get you an abstract podcast mug. They'll be available in like, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks. And yep, 10 bucks. We're not making money, but you can show your support. And they're they're guaranteed to get your liquid from your hand to your face. We may actually be losing money, but we'd be yeah, glad to get you yeah. a mug. It's It's about the spirit of it. That's right. Enjoy this conversation with Jonathan Haney and episode seven. Well, I am in the studio with the Jonathan Haney, and it is an honor and a privilege, and it's really cool to have you here. Thanks, so, Colin. Thanks it's, for being on the Abstract Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here, really. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And um, I want to get in and get you to introduce yourself a little bit, if there are the few people out there that don't know you, um, so that they will know you better. But first off, <laughs> you're back in the States for a little bit of time. Yeah. How long are you back for? We are in the upstate North Georgia area for the next few weeks. We go up to Virginia to, to be with my wife's family uh, in in a few weeks, Mm -hmm. and we'll be up there for eight or nine weeks, and then uh, we'll come back down here for Christmas, and our plane ticket right now says January 4th, so that's our departure date. We'll see if COVID changes any of yeah. that. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> How much did, did COVID complicate coming back to the States? Because you came back um, August? Yeah. Is that yeah. right? It's September, early September. September. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were originally planning to be here for the summer. And so it really threw a wrench in it. We Our airport was just completely closed down for okay. those months. And once we knew we had the green light, we decided to come on back. Go quick. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I understand that. Well, it's so good to have you. Stateside's been great catching up with you some. Yeah. Um, and just wanted to take this opportunity to kind of pick your brain a little mm. bit, um, hear about what's going on in Macedonia, um, and then just even hear things you've you've learned from your time over there. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, but before we get into some of that, just give us a little bit of the background, um, where you're born and raised, mm. um, family background, education background, different jobs. We'll sure. just kind of go. That's a, There's a lot of things packed in there, sure. but just tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, follow up if I don't explain yeah. something very well. But uh, yeah, born and raised uh, here in Tekoa, and uh, it's really nice place to live. I really enjoyed growing up here. 
mom and dad are actually still living in Tekoa uh, now. And I'll just put a word out there because uh, <laughs> mom is actually, she's Debbie Haney. She's working on campus here. She's the administrative assistant for the School of Arts and Science. So I think a lot of people on campus know her and she's yes. uh, well-liked. Yes, she is. She's a great lady. Yep. Very, so. very cheerful every time you walk into that, <laughs> into right. the building. Yep. That's right. She's great. So they're still in Tekoa, and uh, this is actually where I met my lovely wife, Kayla. And we met actually in seventh or eighth grade. We can't really remember exactly oh, wow. when. It, yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time. I've known her longer uh, than I, you know, than the years I didn't know her at this point. Uh, so it's kind of wow. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. That's really cool. Yeah, and I liked her right away, but it took her a long time to convince <laughs> her to come along with me. <laughs> so. I uh, graduated uh, Tacoa Falls, 2011. Had, got my degree in biblical studies. Mm-hmm. Really, really. Did you have a minor it. as well? I did. I, I, I minored in Greek. Um, took yeah, whatever, however many classes I needed, five or six classes. Doctor Junker. Doctor Junker. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Collier, who's I think I'll, gone now. Yeah, He's retired. Yeah. Okay. But some. It was really great. Um, good. Good time. Enjoyed that a lot. I can't, don't remember much of it now, Doctor Junker. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. That's yeah. how it goes. So. No, that's fantastic. And then you graduated, and yeah. what did you do for, for a job right out of college? I found a job in Clarksville, Georgia, working at a furniture store. So I was customer service and also administrative stuff around that place. Just needed something right off, mm-hmm. right now, off the Now, were you bat. married yeah. at this time? I was. Okay. We got married immediately after we graduated, 2011. Okay. And I think I was already actually working at the furniture store at that point. But, yeah, anyway, it was good. But then one night I got a call from uh, Joe Mullet. I think I had already gone to bed, laying in bed, and he gave me a call and said, you want to come teach at Foothills Christian School over in Westminster? And that's how I got to know some of you guys and came and, over that way. Yeah. And, and your connection with Joe was through TFC, It correct? was through okay. TFC, yeah. We got to know Joe and, and uh, his sister Maria uh, through through TFC. And actually Kayla, my wife, had been uh, teaching piano at their school uh, for a year or so before that. And then... I got the call. So, wow, over. that's really cool. Because I, yeah. I, I remember when you started teaching, um, I didn't really know you at yeah. all, but I was in eighth grade. Oh, man, get out of here. Um, <laughs> or eighth, maybe ninth grade. I, I forget. So. Yeah. Um, you were young. But back at the old Fair Play School, that's I remember right. you you coming in, going to the little the, the little room behind the high yeah, school. Yeah, I had a closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was great. I just remember your your popularity levels soared instantly among uh, yeah. among the student body. So <laughs> Something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. No, that's great. And so you've been <laughs> married. You're closing in on 10 years of marriage. That's right. Yep, and we've been you just had... Your fourth child this fourth summer? Fourth child, that's right. So we have four kids. Under five? Under six. Under six. Yeah, okay. that's right. Ezra's six, Arlo's five, Nora's three, and Silas is just pushing seven months. So, wow. That's fantastic. And he yep. was born in Macedonia. He's he your was. only child that was born in Macedonia, That's correct? right. Okay. Yeah. And his birth certificate is actually in, you know, the Macedonian Cyrillic. It's mm-hmm. not, you can't read it at all if you're reading English, obviously. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's kind of fun. You know, he's yeah. got a completely foreign, yeah. foreign yeah. documents at this point. It's so, good stuff. Well, that is really cool. So, yeah. so let's just keep piecing it together. So you taught at Foothills for, I'm trying to remember, four years? Yeah, basically four years. Yeah. Yeah, on and off a little bit because I came back that fourth year yes. to cover for somebody else. But yeah, four years total. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. I felt like I got to know, I, I realized how much I loved to teach yeah. during that time and that age especially. I taught middle school and it was great. Really, really great. So did you feel when you taught at Foothills, like for that, for, for you, was that more of a, a jumping off spot where you, you knew something else was was coming that you were starting to lean in towards? Mm-hmm. Um, or were you, or, or did you start moving towards an education kind of vocation? Yeah, that's a great question. 
<clears throat> you know, after we graduated from Tacoma Falls 2011, we, we knew that we wanted to go overseas somewhere to okay. Europe uh, specifically. And, uh, but I also knew that I loved to teach and wanted to do that at some level. Uh, so going to Foothills, uh, we just didn't really know what the future held in a lot of ways. So we knew it probably wouldn't have lasted forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but those those years were really great in terms of getting to, to have some good job experience, get my, get to know myself as a teacher and a leader in a lot of ways. It, um, Joe was a great, great leader, and he, he brought that out of me, I think, in, in some ways. So some good years. But we knew we were going to the field at some point, and it kind of – it didn't happen sooner than we expected, but – all of a sudden, one day, we just looked at each other and said, "This is we need to go ahead and start moving that direction." And felt God leading. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let me uh, ask you some questions related to that. So, what what about? So, you started feeling a pull towards mm-hmm. overseas missions. Yeah. Um, can you trace that back to anything, or is that just both? You just both had that feeling and found that in commonality, or no? It goes back to Tacoma Falls. Actually, okay. there was one night I remember uh, going to. It was an optional chapel because I was that kind of guy. I went to the optional <laughs> chapels. Don't don't criticize me too much. But uh, it was back over in. Um, oh goodness, what's the name of the, the Williams Chapel right here that got torn down now? Uh, but it there was a pastor who came. He was working in Berlin as a missionary, and he came and spoke. Uh, this American guy, and I'll never forget. He spoke out of uh, the story in John about Lazarus. And the verse that just hit me, you know, you have those moments where the Holy Spirit just really clearly speaks to you about something. He spoke uh, the words that Jesus said, uh, did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I think he's speaking to, uh, to Martha there about resurrection. And uh, he used that in context to say, look, Jesus is, he hasn't given up on post-Christian Europe. Christ, uh, Christianity in Europe is really, really dead. It's in a lot of ways, it's, we're saying, that it's past that. It's almost pagan now because it's moved on past its Christian roots so much. But he said, look, uh, if we can believe Jesus here, then he can bring Europe back from, from the dead in a lot of ways. This just really hit me. Uh, I haven't had a lot of moments like that in my life, but decided to try and follow Jesus. I didn't understand exactly what that meant at that point in terms of going to Europe. But spent a summer in Amsterdam the following year and uh, working at a Christian youth hostel there. And it was just lots of ministry opportunities. People from all over the world were visiting, and a lot of them were on journeys of their own. And it was a, you have to look it up, it's Shelter Youth Hostels, and it's just a really, really, it was a really great place. But kind of felt confirmed that mm-hmm. we should go to Europe in some capacity. So, and this was working on on Kayla as well at the same time. Yeah, you know, we were dating at this point, and uh, she had wanted to go overseas somewhere. And was kind of relieved, I think, that I had some sort of call uh, yeah. separate from hers and all that kind of stuff. And so she uh, followed along. Yeah, you know. Okay, so so then let's get specific. When did mm-hmm. Macedonia come on the map? Then yeah, it's a long story, but basically uh, we knew we wanted to go to Europe, and we had connections with Greater Europe Mission, um, and uh, decided that we wanted to to go with them, and uh, basically ended up having. It was, it was about teaching. They were offering um, opportunities to work in a learning center, teaching English, and I was teaching at Foothills at that point. Uh, this would have been about five or six years ago. And we were just like, wow, this is us. We want to really do that and pour our life into that, that work. Um, 
and make disciples through that kind of work. So that's how it fell into place. Macedonia, honestly, when we heard about the opportunity, we had to pull out our maps and say, okay, where's Macedonia yeah. again? <laughs> Most people don't know where it is. So this was through so, that organization. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. Okay. Um, and, and what was the, the specific... Um, I can't think of a better word than yeah, offer. It's not an offer, mm, but, yeah, but the yeah. opportunity. Um, what, what was the specific opportunity in Macedonia that you were given? Yeah, the, the, the thing that was posted online that we saw was just, you know, come and work in a learning center in the Balkans. And so we had to follow up, and that's when we heard that it's in Macedonia. Um, Greater Europe does a lot of work with disciple-making in general. We know their ethos is all about making disciples who make disciples, and we really um, were on board with that. And yeah, again, I, I was a teacher, really like the idea of using some of those skills overseas. And so, you know, I can't build a house, but I can, I can teach English. And so that felt like a good fit for us and a way to get to Europe without, in a lot of ways, we didn't really know how to, what other roles we would have fit into. Um, now with some experience, that's kind of changed a little mm -hmm. bit for us. We don't feel the need to lean on our teaching experience over there, but um, yeah, at first it felt like that that was a perfect fit. Okay, so yeah. was that clear? Were there other things that you were looking at at the same time, other that, opportunities? No, that's a good question. That was pretty much it. We, you know, again, had the heart and desire to go, but this was the only thing that really popped up on our radar. Mm -hmm. I think if that hadn't been there, we would have kept looking and looking and looking, and um, but this was the first thing we found and felt like a really good fit. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Say a little bit, I'm just curious, yeah. say a little bit about the process of what that looks like mm. to start getting ready for something like that. Wow, that's a really good question. It is a long process. We we contacted the organization because I think the offer was actually online. I think we literally were like, let's just see what you know the organization is offering. We knew we wanted to go with them at some level. And so we were just scrolling through their list of opportunities online. And that's when that popped up. And we clicked on it. And then it was something like, uh, click here for more information. And somebody contacted us from them. Okay. And we started the process. And there was a lot of paperwork to fill out. I mean, for a lot sure. more than I thought there would be. They wanted to, there was a really good screening process. So that, you know, this isn't, you know what you're getting into mm -hmm. for sure when you, when you come with them. Uh, and then, yeah, you, you go to Colorado. That's the U.S. Sending Center for, for the organization. And they, um, they have a little, what would be, I forget what the word is, but basically ceremony for you to say, yep, you're good. A little more screening okay. over there. You talk to people that are in the organization. And then you start the process of fundraising, too, because um, we live completely off of support from people in the States. And it's quite a job to raise support, but it's also a privilege. We found that... We've been able to uh, invite others to be a part of what God is doing in Europe. Mm -hmm. it's, we tell people a lot of times, yeah, you are supporting the Haneys, but you really are pouring into um, what God is doing in Macedonia, and you're, you're a piece of that. And it's really a privilege to see that happen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So did you go on any um, preliminary trips before you went there? We did. We took one week okay. and, and did like a, a scouting trip or something yeah. like that just to meet the team that was there. And uh, yeah, that was a really useful thing because we had no clue what we were getting into. <laughs> yeah. So when you say team, uh, what does that look like? We have one other family that's there with us in, in okay. Skopje, the capital city. Yeah. And they have three kids, a uh, little bit older than our kids, but it's just been really great to have them there. We had two singles. They're currently, uh, one has already left the field and one is on the way out. So people often come and go a mm -hmm. lot on the mission field. Um, and there's actually an older couple that has just joined us. They're in their 70s. They're coming to work also in a different 
part of the educational system in mm-hmm. Macedonia, so something separate than what we're doing, but they're with our organization, and it's really a privilege to have them. It's, it's neat to see people who have already retired decide to give time and do something like that. I mean, they're on for, this is like a two or three year commitment for them. So really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's really good. Um, I want to talk just a little bit specifically about Macedonia. Can you just give us kind of a, a snapshot? I, yeah, I don't know how you do that because to try to put a country <laughs> yeah, in yeah. these type of monolithic categories is, right, is a right. very difficult thing. But in, just give us some generalities about how to understand what Macedonia is like, what life mm-hmm. is like there. Yeah. Um, See if you can paint us a picture a little Great. bit. Yeah. I'm not a very good painter, but let's try it. No, but it, yeah, that's a really good question. Macedonia is, um, it's in the Balkans. So you have a very kind of Mediterranean climate uh, in terms of uh, the temperature of people, let's say. let's say They love to stay up late. It's a late night culture. Um, so I've heard from people that, you know, the best disco bars or whatever, which I don't have any personal experience with, but those kind of things, the best ones open at midnight on the weekend. Oh, wow. So it's okay. really late. Yeah. You know, you're getting back at 4 or 5 a.m. or wow. you just stay up all night. You know, the young people are, are doing that kind of thing. Um, it is a culture. Well, I can back up a little bit, too. You have 70% of the population is Macedonian, Caucasian, kind of more white mm-hmm. um, and 30% would be Albanian, actually. They would identify ethnically as Albanian, even though they live within the country borders of Macedonia. And religion is really split down the line according to what ethnicity you are. So if you're a Macedonian white, you are Eastern Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And if you are Albanian, then you are uh, Muslim. Mm-hmm. And it really is that way, even though both uh, parties in, in the country are pretty nominal but most are not really practicing at some level what their faith is. It's just very uh, cultural. Yeah. I remember you saying, like, <clears throat> is it roughly 1% of the population is Christian? Yeah, is less that than that. I think the numbers right now are like 0.02% would be considered actually following Jesus at some level, evangelical. But also beyond that, you know, Orthodox who are really committed and following Jesus. That's what I was gonna, so some of that yeah. expressed within the Eastern Orthodox tradition mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I, I did want to ask you, what— um, so in your experience with, because uh, all of our experience primarily is, is in Western Christianity, mm-hmm, yeah. um, kind of started with, I guess you could say, Augustine. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and what is, have you learned anything mm-hmm. from, from a more Eastern tradition of approaching the faith? Well, that's a really, really good question. You know, Macedonians, their perspective on God is, is um, there is a lot of, there are a lot of good things to it, actually. And, and, you know, sometimes you can, when you're over there as a missionary, the tendency can be to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sure. Um, you know, you, you can have the perspective of coming in as the as the conqueror. But we, we try to avoid that as much as possible. Um, yeah, Macedonians would see God as being very distant. Um, so there maybe is a negative side to that. But at the same time, that distance uh, that they see in him is a sense of he's over all things. He is all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. And I've really come to admire that, um, that sense of just he's over all things, even if they don't necessarily live that way, it's in their theology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's other things as well. Um, just commitment to their faith in some way that they identify so strongly at a heart level with this, even if maybe they don't understand all the pieces of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I feel like our job in a lot of ways is calling people to understand and follow Jesus at a level they've never been to before. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm trying to change their religion. It's just calling them to a deeper level. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Have you participated in some, um, like, it's, it's extremely high church tradition, mm. uh, in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, have you participated in some of their, their church services? I'm just curious what your thoughts yeah. were from that. Honestly, I haven't had a ton of experience, but I have gone to a couple Easter services mm-hmm. there, and they're really big. It's almost like a big block party where everyone's yeah. out in the streets, and you can the priest is over a microphone, and uh, it's really a beautiful service, really interesting. Uh, I went into into the church building during that time, and they do a lot of kind of ritualistic stuff where people will, will go under a table covered with a cloth, symbolizing Jesus' death and resurrection coming out oh, the okay. other side. Sure. Yeah. Um, again, some people might be able to articulate what these things mean, and a lot of people wouldn't, which is part of the problem. They're not aware of what they're doing. They think it's more superstitious than anything else. Uh, but yeah, the service was really interesting. The priests will then come outside. Um, I think they're holding candles and they, they circle the temple or the church seven times. Uh, so really, and people can follow them as they go around. Uh, lots of symbolism there. Mm-hmm. And the priest will then get up on the stage and um, do some of the liturgy that, that they have. And at midnight, at the stroke of midnight on Easter, everyone has uh, boiled eggs. And the tradition is, is that once the priest finishes blessing, I think, the people, uh, you take your egg out and you, you go around and try to crack each other's eggs. And the person who's last standing wins and has good luck for that year, that kind of <laughs> idea. <laughs> so you got you to prep your egg real good. And you'll see some people bring in like wooden eggs just to trick everybody. Oh, my and they smash everybody else's. It's a hoot. It's really funny, actually. It is hilarious. Yeah. So um, we think we're weird with the Easter Bunny, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To each his own liturgy, I guess. That's right. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> anyway, so that was a little bit of a digression. So let's get that's back okay. to. Um, so what is. Wh- when you think of you in Macedonia, you and your family in Macedonia, like what is the ethos of why mm. you were there? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I learned that I have learned about ministry while I've lived in Macedonia that honestly I wish I had known before. Um, and a lot of this comes back to, I used to think, I used to just not be, uh, I didn't know what my goal was in ministry. I had some ministry roles back at our uh, a former church we went to, and I sort of had a youth pastor position where I was leading some of the young people. And um, I remember thinking, okay, I need to disciple these guys, but I wasn't sure where to take them. What am I mm-hmm. doing with them? And also with the loss that would come in and out of the church, or we were also in a community in, in uh, this was in uh, West Union, Wahala area in South Carolina. And I wasn't sure, like, okay, what am I trying to do with the lost people that are around me? I'm obviously trying to engage them in spiritual conversations, but am I trying to bring them into church? Am I trying to witness to them there, watch them get saved and then bring them? Or is it a mixture of those? Or what am I trying to do? What's my goal? And one of the things that I feel like I've learned a lot about, I don't, I don't have all the answers by any means, but... Um, I've learned that Jesus actually does leave us a model for, at some level, you know, it might be basic, but a, a model for doing ministry and making disciples. Um, and it comes right out of Luke 10. Uh, so I'm not going to read the passage right now, but this is the passage where Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He sends out the 72 disciples at that point and gives them really specific instructions. And in the past, I would have thought, oh, it doesn't really apply anymore because there's some kind of weird stuff in that, like don't bring a bag or a walking staff. Like, is that to shake the dust yeah, of the town off yeah, your shoes yeah. if they aren't responsive? Yeah. <laughs> Which always used to be like, what is happening? Yeah. You know? But I think we can bring that passage into the modern context. And Jesus is actually laying out what, what he did 
and he's telling them how to go about it. So when you get to Matthew 28, where he says, go and make disciples of the whole world, he didn't leave them without a plan. They had seen him do this and they had heard him give them uh, these instructions. So we have a plan. And uh, I think for Jesus in Luke 10, it's basically he is telling them to go proclaim the kingdom. And uh, his goal was to forge a community of Jewish disciples who would go and take the gospel to the rest of the world. Um, and there's a lot there, but our goal is similar. We're trying to make disciples and reach enough people in Macedonia so that everybody in the country can hear. It's a really big goal, but that's our desire. And our, we think that God's desire and heart is the same because he wants everybody to know uh, who he is. So it's big, but um, the number that we often work with is 10%. If you can reach 10% of your population and make those people uh, into disciples who are actively working, then you can reach the whole population in terms of everybody having a chance to hear. So 10%, it's a huge number, especially since we're, you know, in Macedonia at 0.02. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what we're working on. Okay. What yeah. is the population of Macedonia? It's around 2 million. Okay. And in our capital city of Skopje, it's uh, 1 million people. Okay. So quite a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's really fascinating. Let's talk about how that looks then, because um, mm-hmm. I, I just would want to hear you describe a little bit like what that looks like then, because I, so that's your kind of theological framework approaching yeah. it. Yeah. What does that look like on the grounds in Macedonia for you? That's really great. That's a good question. You know, and a lot of what we do is we are trying to pull these examples, even from Luke 10 and stuff into what we're doing. So Jesus says, go, you know, often in pairs and, uh, and just proclaim the gospel uh, and the kingdom. And what we're doing basically is trying as much as possible to enter into communities, not bringing people out of communities. And it's, it seems really straightforward. And you hear this a lot, I think, in American church, church culture, like, don't just wait for people to come to you. You have to go to them. But I think it really is true. Um, we've learned that in order to reach the lost, you have to be with them and you really have to, uh, to, to go to them. Uh, And I think the thing where I'll come back to Luke 10 a lot, if that's okay. Jesus says, don't take a money bag. Don't take this or that with you. I always used to be confused. What does that mean? But I think he's just saying, go and don't hesitate. Don't get distracted by worldly things as you go. Um, So one of the things that I've realized is I'm making, you know, I make a map of people around me who are lost and I have to be so intentional about meeting those people. I can go for weeks and I'll look down and be like, oh, I haven't talked to him and we haven't had a spiritual conversation in four or five weeks. And, you know... I have time for this. Why am I not? Why am I not going and seeking these people out? Um, that's a lot of that. And then <clears throat> one thing we've learned is that as we have more and more conversations with people and try to go to the spiritual conversations and tell them stories from the Bible, um, we work more and more with people who are open and less and less with people who aren't. And this is one big you know huge worldview change for me coming from working in a church before. I would have thought to myself, I don't know if anyone listening has ever thought this before, but the hard people sometimes are the ones we want to like, let's really focus on these people and try to see if, Mm -hmm. you know, can we have a breakthrough in this area? And I'm not saying we don't, we don't give up on people. That's not what I'm saying, especially if they're a close friend or family member or something like that. But, you know, in, in our situation in Macedonia, we have so many people around us that we could, if we equally spread out the time we spent with each of those, we would have not a lot of time with them. So what we're doing is we're really focusing in on the ones who are receptive immediately, who are welcoming to us. And I think this is where Jesus is going when he says, shake the dust off your feet. Because, you know, it's a pretty strong reaction. We expect people to become disciples. We expect them to accept the kingdom. And when they don't, 
I think Jesus is just saying, move on to people who do. Stay with the people of peace who are welcoming to you into the kingdom. And that's where you build your, your network. Those are the people to pour into. Um, there's a lot there. Yeah. yeah. But let's talk about building a network because this is what mm-hmm. I was talking with you the other day and, and you were describing. So so some of what – let's just talk specifically about what you do on a, on a day-to-day basis. Right. Like in, in, um, in some respect, you go to the local um, – what was it called? Uh, it's not the library, uh, English Center. Oh, English Center, right, yeah. our learning center, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you go there, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that's part of what you do. But then the other part is creating, like, um, would it be okay to call them, like, pods? Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, of, that's good. Of Bible, like that. Bible yeah. reading groups? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, can, pods, I like Yeah, that. can that's you talk great. about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, actually, we were at the learning center more and more. We, we don't have to take time on this, but we're transitioning away from that. So, okay. what, yeah, a lot of these, uh, like Colin is saying, these pods, that is a great word. I love that. Uh, we'll be focusing more and more on that kind of stuff. We'll have more time for that, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we have like two different kinds of groups we do. We work with believers um, from our local church, and we're really just in these groups. There's a lot that goes into this, but we really try to keep it simple and simplistic. So that in the future, they could go and start their own similar group if they, if they um, have the opportunity. We keep things really simple, but a lot of it is accountability. So we ask them, you know, every time, how are you connecting with God? Uh, who are you sharing the kingdom with? Who are you sharing the gospel with every week? And we write down specific names because what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, John can't reach everybody. I can't. Mm-hmm. We, I definitely can't get to 10% by myself. We have to have a whole network of people here. And so this little pod, um, maybe, you know, for one instance, right now we have one group with five believers in it, but I'm, we're asking each of them to identify maybe four or five people that they can pass this on to and start reading the Bible with. And then they then will take that to those four or five people and ask them, okay, who are four or five people you could take it to? And just multiplication. Um, no, I heard recently somebody say, I love this, that God didn't create anything in the natural world that reproduces by addition. God created everything to reproduce by multiplication because God loves to see things just blossom and grow and get out of control a little bit, you know? And and that's kind of what we see as our role in disciple making. I'm not gonna add one person to the group, one after the other, but I wanna see that multiply out from from that little pod. We wanna see four or five pods. And so on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I want to ask you. Um, let me let me see if this question makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you've been talking about, it, you've been talking a lot of the word. Um, you've been using the word discipleship mm, yeah. fairly frequently. Yeah. What do you see as, or do you see there being a nuance between talking about discipleship mm. and talking about evangelism? Oh, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. Deci- that's a great question. Discipleship here. Uh, yeah, I know that this word gets used quite a lot, um, especially in American culture. And it's almost a dangerous word to use because it's uh, it can get thrown around a lot with a lot mm-hmm. of different meanings. We would see it as basically walking along with people who are already believers and trying to model for them um, how to share their faith, how to live the Christian life at a deeper level. But a lot of it is uh, modeling for them how to make disciples. And um, we actually have an acronym for this. It's MAWL, which is a terrible acronym, M-A-W-L, but it's Model, Assist, Watch, and Launch. And so we're modeling for them how to, to live the Christian life. We're assisting them in their own, their own uh, disciple-making activities. Mm-hmm. We're watching them, then we step back and give them more authority and more leadership. And then we're launching them to say, kind of like the church would with uh, Paul and Barnabas, to say, go and do this now on your own. 
not that we lose communication, mm-hmm. but we're sending them off again. Um, so, yeah, a lot of it is just like, like similar to what Jesus would have done with the 12 disciples. We walk alongside and we're modeling our lives in front of them at some level. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, and I remember from talking the other day with you, you how, how I don't want to put words in your mouth, mm-hmm, but kind yeah. of how I heard you yeah. describing it was was trying to go beyond um, the the evangelism focus of understanding Christianity as a decision you make. Yeah. So yeah. just go out and get a lot oh, of people yeah. to change their minds. Right. And, and you're trying to do something different, if I'm hearing you correct. That's exactly right. Uh, I am not opposed to evangelism uh, at all. And sometimes I think people, I heard recently, this is a little bit of a digression, but I was just blown away by this, that 7% of Europe right now is ready to follow and accept, accept and follow Jesus right where they are at. So literally 7% of Europe is just waiting for someone to come up and share Jesus with them. And they would, you know, at some level follow. Uh, So there is that element. I'm not opposed to evangelism. The thing we've run into in Macedonia as an exception to that, I think, is that people already have this concept in their minds that they are Christian. And so when you come up to them and say, hey, this is how you can become a Christian, you know, something like that. They, they can get a little bit like, well, I already am and we already understand this. And even though they might not, or maybe mm-hmm. they've never even read the Bible or understand that for themselves. So we've kind of done a little bit of a, of a different approach. And I think this could, this kind of thing would be appropriate for Southern culture here in America, because you have a lot of people mm-hmm. who think just because maybe they've gone to church a few times in their life, right. you know, a similar kind of thing. Um, we are engaging them in spiritual conversations and then more and more as the conversation goes on, it could take 10 minutes, it could take three months, but we invite them in, hey, would you like to read the Bible with us sometime? Mm-hmm. You know, we love to do this with our friends. Would you ever be interested in this? And um, it's really been a really cool thing to watch because, you know, even if they think they're Christians, they might be attracted to that. Um, oh, I would like to learn more about that. I would like to know how to engage with God at a deeper level. And so then we walk through um, major Old Testament stories leading to Jesus, and um, we just let them discover God for themselves. We actually call these mm-hmm. discovery Bible studies. And um, we do a lot of the same kinds of things in these studies. We, we read the Bible, and then we ask them, who, who of your friends could you take this to? Again, bringing that multiplication element into it as much as possible. Even when they're not believers, we are asking them to go and share what they're learning with others so that it can spread without that, you know, even without a commitment. Yeah. And I really like what you're saying. We can get so hung up on a decision, Mm -hmm. but we need, I think it's really fun to watch people discover God for themselves. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I asked this question. um, So this is a chance for you to put kind of some, some words to because you are getting, you talked about getting supported from a lot of people stateside yeah, for yeah. what you're doing mm-hmm. in Macedonia across the ocean. That's right. So what would you say, I just want to op- or get you a question, I'm trying to think how to say it real yeah, good. That's fine. Yeah, um, you're good. But what do you want people to know? What's, what's one or two things you want people to know about what you're doing mm-hmm. in Macedonia? Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, that's a really good question. Who a big one. Um, so obviously... In terms of our ministry, mm-hmm. um, we are trying to, one way I'm, I like to say it, I don't know if this is a good way to say it or not, but I really want to work myself out of a job. I don't see myself, Kayla and I are not, we don't see ourselves as coming in on the white horse for Macedonia at any level. I know that passing on skills and things to people there who are already speaking the language fluently, 
um, who have connections beyond anything I'll ever have in that country. That is the most important thing. And not to say that we don't have a role, but our role is more catalytic in trying to get movement started uh, than it is to be on the front line so much. We are right mm -hmm. now because we're just at the beginning, but we sure. want to mobilize people. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's a great answer. And um, I know we're running out of time. I want to ask you a couple more things. We're going to move into uh, a, a section I'm going to call Pastoral Reflections with John. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> but no, I, I just wanted to hear you talk mm. a little bit about um, – You've been over there for, for three years now? Mm -hmm, that's right. I would be curious um, just to hear you talk a little bit about things that you have learned that John today mm -hmm. would tell John of three years ago preparing to go over there. Yeah. Um, and things that could maybe be helpful for other people who who um, maybe are feeling that, that their vocational calling is going to be outside of the community in yeah. which they are currently in. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, I would tell myself a lot of things. Number one, buckle up. It's going to be a hard three years. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, uh, you know, we had a lot of good pre-field training, which helped us prepare mentally for cultural change. So there were some things that we were ready for. One thing I would tell myself if back, you know, three or four, maybe 10 years ago would be learn Spanish. Learn Spanish and engage a different community than what you're used to. Uh, you don't have to become fluent. But I would have told myself, look at all these Hispanics around you who, um, and it's not just them, it's other communities too. But I think about this because we lived in Wahala and we had a lot of Hispanics around us. Mm -hmm. And I would have loved to break into that, but I wasn't sure of, of the direction I wanted to go uh, at that time and, and different things. But yeah, something like that, engage different people from different cultures, give it a shot. And, you know... This can be, I think I really don't want to give it the impression that I know all of this really, really well, but I'm passionate about it. And I think going back now, I would tell myself, just, just try some of these things. They're really simple, but engage people. You have to engage people. Um, just start a conversation with them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. And, and kind of to close off here, what would you say to, um, cause there are, you know, um, the Lord calls us to to many different communities and many yeah. different places, oh, yeah. and and yeah. for some His call is um, like in Luke six, I believe it is, mm -hmm. when He heals um, the demon possessed man. Yeah. He says, "Go and stay," yeah. instead of yeah. um, go go somewhere else. So for you, like, mm -hmm. how is a helpful way for a person to think through? This community is my home, and the deep rootedness mm, yeah. I have in this place mm. um, it is where I'm meant to be in in doing this vocation, like plumbing or whatever it yeah, is faithfully yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, versus towards I feel the, that um, that the Lord may be calling me to a community yeah. somewhere else yeah. to be present to the world. Oh, um, that's a, yeah. Anyway, I'd just be curious what your thoughts would be. That's a great, great, great question because I know um, a lot of the listeners are, are working full time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I was back before we, we left for the season that, you know, uh, the thing I want to say is, is that I don't think Jesus is trying to add more things to your schedule to make you stressed out and to make your life harder. I think what Jesus is calling us to is to live our entire lives as disciple makers. So this, you know, literally means on the job. Jesus entered the workplace to find disciples. We see that happen whenever he calls the fishermen, um, you know, Peter and, and John. He enters the workplace and to look for them. Um, so that's my first thing is Jesus is not trying to stress you out. 
But I actually, I had, this is going to be chills, I had Luke 6 or whatever, whatever the passage is with the uh, demon-possessed man as my final thought because I love that story. The man does, like just like Colin said, he wants to come with Jesus and follow mm-hmm. him. And Jesus said, no, 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 you stay. But not just stay, you stay and tell. Stay and tell. You know, mm-hmm. your life has been changed. I'm not going to pull you out of your community, <laughs> but I want you to... Um, to, to reach those around you with that. And again, like that's what we're trying to do with Macedonians. I don't want them to get saved and move to Germany mm-hmm. where they, you know, right, they'll have right. less impact. <clears throat> I want them to stay and reach. And the cool thing is, is that later in that, in the book, Jesus comes back to uh, the Decapolis where the demon possessed man had gone and told, and he's warmly received by the people there. And they bring the, the sick and, and things to him. Uh, and it's really neat testimony. You don't see it actually written out in scripture, but I think that's because the demon-possessed man went back. He had been changed and told people and uh, kind of prepared the way for Jesus to come back. Well, wow, that's that's really fascinating. I hadn't, it's I never really cool. never heard of that. So that's yeah. Yeah. I have to go back and reread that. Um, but John, it's been great talking to you. Thanks, Colin. Um, I don't want to cut you off if you had anything else. That is it. I talked way too long anyway. So <laughs> no, this has been great. It's good. it's been good sitting down with you and. Um, yeah. And I, I know there's a lot of people who who may be listening to this that that you've had a tremendous impact on their lives and and they're really grateful for who you are and who your family is and um, and uh, I I must say I have never heard when when people are describing John and Kayla I have never once heard a negative description. Oh, that's good. Um, oh no. <laughs> and so yeah, I I, really um, I I have great appreciation for for who you and you and your wife and your family are. Um, I told someone the other day, I said, I honestly think that there's, there's one, there's only a few people in my life that I can think of that I don't know if I've ever heard them at a time when I thought, man, they're kind of full of themselves. Oh, and, wow. and John wow. Haney's one of those people. Oh, so that's good to know. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's thanks been great. for having me here. Yeah, Colin. absolutely. Really? Um, really? but yeah, enjoy the rest of your time here thanks. stateside. And, oh, um, it's been good. Oh, Chipotle all the way. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> there may be our disagreement. Um, oh boy. No, okay. Chipotle here. But oh man. Anyway, it's, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.